Well, good morning. Good morning. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family, whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus. There's room for you here. This is a safe to learn, to grow, and to change. So, so long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us we're all active participants as we stay on this journey together. We're all here to receive something this morning. We also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also pour out love by serving others. I would like to point out the decorative touch we've added to the balcony today. Uh, it's beautiful. It's not quite the manger scene we had commissioned, but it's, uh, it's very nice. It's very nice. Very nice. So, so some years ago, we had uh, a gentleman by the name of Rusty Knox come and sing with us on a Sunday morning. He has since become the mayor of Davidson, so be careful, Matt. Look out. <laughs> with how many times you've sung here, you'll be the governor or something. But he says something to me that always kind of stuck with me. And so I'm going to now uh, repeat it here. He said it was hard for him to get his foot in the door of a new venue because here's the, how the conversation would go. He would say, hello, my name is Rusty Knox and I represent the Rusty Knox Band. Hello? Hello? <laughs> Apparently people are not impressed when you are your own publicist. And we're actually going to see something similar to that in the passage for this morning. The religious leaders are going to protest that Jesus is his own publicist, and they are not impressed by that, and they are ready to hang up the phone on him. And the truth is, maybe some of you have felt that same way, either about your faith, about Jesus, about your exploration of faith. Maybe it's time, time to hang up the phone. So I want you to see how Jesus responds to this concern and see if it doesn't change the way we think about our similar concerns. We're in Advent. Advent is the four weeks leading up to Christmas and the celebration of Christmas, and we're calling our Advent series this year, What Child Is This? Who is this Jesus, born in Bethlehem, placed in a manger, who would change the world? We can't help, or at least I can't help when I see kids. I see my kids. I see the kids of the church. You can't ask but help, the, help but ask the question, who are these kids going to become? It makes me very thankful to those of you who pour into the lives of the kids and the teenagers of our church family, helping them become the people God has made them to be. But with the case of Jesus, we know who Jesus is. We know what Jesus came to do. And part of how we know that is that in the book of the Bible called John, Jesus makes seven I am statements, seven statements of his identity, his purpose. They're called the seven I am statements. So we've been looking at those. We've looked at I am the resurrection and the life. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. Today, I would like to talk about I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. So let me see if I can't set the scene uh, for John chapter 8. That's what we'll be studying this morning, what Amy read for us earlier, John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Of course, if you don't have a Bible, you're always free to take one that's in the chair. Take it as our gift to you, an early Christmas present, a late trick-or-treating, whatever, but you can have it. 
So here's the scene in John chapter 8. Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem, and He is there for something called the Feast or the Festival of the Tabernacles. Jewish people today still celebrate this holiday, the holiday of Sukkot, the Festival of the Booths. Sometime you may go by the synagogue down the street and see that they'll have kind of a a little tarped-off structure out front. That's Sukkot, the Festival of the Booths. That's what Jesus is celebrating in the temple. Now, in Jesus' day and time, as best we can reconstruct from history, the religious leaders would set up lamps in a particular part of the temple during the festival of the tabernacles. You might remember the last verse in our passage today said this, He, Jesus, spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Okay. Why include that? (laughs) Well, a lot of commentators think that the reason this detail is included was so that the original readers would understand where Jesus was standing when He said, I am the light of the world. He was standing, as best we can tell, in the area of the temple where they would set up these lamps. Now, the lamps, this is sort of the important part, the lamps are an allusion to the Old Testament. They're an allusion to the second book of the Bible called Exodus. In Exodus, God's people are escaping from slavery in Egypt. You may remember, you may have seen the movie that Moses, Pharaoh, the Red Sea. Okay, so the people are escaping from slavery in Egypt, and to lead them at night in the desert, God would appear before them as a pillar of fire so that they could still be led even in the night. God came to them as a pillar of fire, as an assurance, an assurance that God was with them, that God would guide them, that God would save them. And the reference there is Exodus chapter 13, in case you want to double check me and make sure I'm just not making any of this stuff up. Exodus chapter 13, God is with you, God will guide you, God will save you. And so these lamps would be set up in Jesus' day and time to remind the Jewish people that God had appeared as this pillar of fire. God was with our ancestors. God guided our ancestors. God saved our ancestors. He will do the same thing for us. So here's Jesus standing among these lamps. The sun has set. They are providing the only significant light. There is a crowd of people here to celebrate the festival, but also wanting to hear what Jesus has to say. What will He say? Hopefully, He'll throw in some jokes to keep our interest along the way. Jesus looks at the crowd and says these words, which I hope you now hear are a little more controversial than they first seemed. Jesus says this, when Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he is referencing lamps that refer back to God appearing as a pillar of fire to guide and save his people. So Jesus is saying, what God did for our ancestors, I'm here to do again. I am the light. 
But not just the light for us, I'm the light for everybody. I am the light of the world. I'm here to do what God did for our ancestors for everybody. I am the light of the world. And in fact, it's clear to me he is referring back to Exodus because he could then say, whoever follows me will never live in darkness. That would actually make more sense. Whoever follows me will never live in darkness. But he does not say live in darkness. He says, walk in darkness, referring back to Exodus and how the pillar of fire let the people keep walking even at night. So imagine you and I are sitting there in the temple court, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You and I would not look at each other and say, well, isn't that nice? We would look at each other, and our eyes would get really big. Did he just say what I think he said? Jesus is presenting us with a decision point. If he is who he says he is, if he is the light, but for the whole world, that's a game changer. And like a legitimate game changer, not just the Davidson College giving campaign, like an actual game changer. No offense, Andrew. Andrew is on the game changer banner. (laughs) I'm on the one, I'm never, let me just tell you, never going to be on a game changer banner. Never Never say never, okay. We'll see what the follow-up campaign is, and I'll maybe. So if he is who he says he is, that's a game changer, like a legitimate game changer. But if he's not, if, he, if he's just making this stuff up, then it's kind of scary. That's like a demagogue in training here, and we need to get out of here. Do you see the decision point that's being placed here when he says, I am the light of the world? When he says, I am the light of the world, he's claiming his divinity, that, that yes, he, he's not just fully human, he's also fully God. He's saying that in the same way God came to be with our ancestors as the pillar of fire, God has now come to be with us through me, through Jesus. The point being that through me, through Jesus, God is with you, God will guide you, God will save you. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that's what he's saying. Through me, through Jesus, God is with you, God will guide you, God will save you. In the same way that the pillar of fire did it for a specific group of people, Jesus now offers to do that for the whole world. Even the people who are sitting in this gym at Davidson K8. God is willing to guide you, to save you, to always be with you through Jesus. So as soon as Jesus finishes saying all this, the religious leaders in the crowd let out kind of a collective bah humbug. They don't believe Jesus. Well, what about you? Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe that He is the light of the world, that He is God come to earth so that you don't have to walk in darkness? so that we can know that God is with us and that God will guide us and that God will save us? Do you believe that? Well, I do, but not everybody does. I've come to believe that Jesus is trustworthy, that even His most radical statements light up a dark path, but you may not be there yet. It is very reasonable to ask, 
can Jesus be trusted? Why should I trust Jesus? This is, in fact, what the religious leaders do. They say, you're the light of the world? Prove it. Verse 13, the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. In other words, you cannot be your own publicist. And we're going to hang up on you. You've just made some really big claims about yourself, but we don't plan to accept your really big claim if you're the only witness. So how is Jesus going to respond to this challenge? Now, I think it would be really great if he'd like do a miracle right now. You know, like if he'd like make, make one of the lamps like float up in the air and spell out, yay Jesus, or something like this. Or if he'd have someone come up from the crowd and talk about some cool thing he had done or done in their life or something like that. In fact, in the very next chapter, John chapter 9, he does heal a blind man as part of making clear, I am the light of the world. But that's not what he does in the temple courts with the religious leaders. Here's what he does in the temple courts with the religious leaders, verse 14. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. So the religious leaders say, you can't be your own publicist. Jesus' response is, everything I've told you is true. The truth is the truth no matter who says it. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus does not seem concerned that this is about to get into a he said, she said kind of an argument. And I think part of the reason for that is that Jesus is, his emphasis here, the question he's forcing us here to is, is Jesus trustworthy? Can Jesus be believed? Even when he says radical things like, I am the light of the world with all the backdrop I've tried to give you on what that statement refers to. Can Jesus be believed? Verse 15, you, this is Jesus still talking, you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. So Jesus makes one bold statement, I am the light of the world. He gets a little pushback, so what does he do? Does he walk his statement back a little bit and then find some things we can all agree on? No. <laughs> he mashes down on the accelerator. He makes another bold statement. He says everything he does and says are true because he's never acting alone. That he and his Father, by which he means God the Father, the creator of the world, he and his Father are always working together. So again, you and I are sitting in the crowd. Our eyes are already wide. And then Jesus starts talking about this. What do our wide eyes do? They get wider. I mean, are we watching a dude crack under pressure here? Or are we seeing someone who is no ordinary person? And it gets better. He's not done yet. Verse 17. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. 
Okay, so Jesus there is likely referring to Deuteronomy 19.15 in the Old Testament, which says you need two or three witnesses to convict a person of a crime. So let's summarize. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and here are my witnesses to back up my statement, me and my Father. And the religious leaders say, this is a summary, the religious leaders say, well, go get your father. We need to talk to him about this. And Jesus essentially responds, you don't get it, because he's referring to God the Father. So the religious leaders, maybe some of us say, Jesus, you're the light of the world. That's a big claim. Prove it. But Jesus doesn't walk back the statement, and in fact, he doubles down on it and says, I've already given you all the proof you need. I testify that my words are trustworthy and true, and God the Father testifies that my words are trustworthy and true. So he doesn't make the light float up and spell out, yay, Jesus. He actually doubles down on the question, am I trustworthy? Can I be believed? Jesus is emphasizing that, yes, he is a human being, because people saw him, people could touch him, people had watched him grow up. He's human, but at the same time, he is God, come to earth, not as a pillar of fire, as a person. He and God the Father are always on the same page. And so when Jesus says something, it has the force as if two persons or three persons said it. Jesus keeps pushing us back to the fundamental question, am I trustworthy? Can I be believed? Is Jesus who he said he is? Is he the light of the world? Is he God come to earth to be with us and guide us and save us? Is he so intertwined with our creator that they are always on the same page? Or is all of this crazy, a very wild and dangerous thing on which to base our lives? Can Jesus be believed? Well, sure he can. He's been believed by billions of people throughout history and throughout cultures of the world. So sure, Jesus can be believed. Billions of people follow the light of the world and don't walk in darkness, but have the light of life. But what about you? Can you believe Jesus? Well, when we are faced with this sort of a question, which I think is the question Jesus wants us to wrestle with out of this passage, can Jesus be believed? Is Jesus trustworthy? There are at least two paths we can take in that. There's a bunch of paths. I'm going to highlight two based on the teachings of Jesus. John 3.19, Jesus teaches this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So one option you and I have is to say, I really don't want anything to do with this whole Jesus, the light of the world thing. And Jesus says part of the reason for this is that we prefer darkness to light. We are afraid of what will happen if our lives are fully exposed to the light. We are afraid of being found out. We're afraid of being fully known. We're afraid of having to let go of things that go against what God wants. 
We have grown comfortable in shadows and trickery and with covering up. And so, at least for some of us, this fear makes us avoid the light of the world. Now, there's a different option here that, that I want to highlight, and this again is from the teachings of Jesus. Thus far, the sermon has been based around the phrase, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Correct? We agree? All right, I want you to see what Jesus teaches here in Matthew 5, 14. Hold on to your hats. Matthew 5, 14, Jesus says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Lamps lit in a temple cannot be hidden. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and yet elsewhere he tells his disciples, he tells his followers, you are the light of the world. Okay, time out. Is Jesus the light of the world, or are Jesus' followers the light of the world? The answer, it turns out, is yes. And this is the second path that you and I can walk. We can avoid the light out of fear. We can avoid the light out of unbelief. We can avoid the light out of a desire to keep doing wrong, or we can walk into the light. We can embrace the light. We can be transformed as we live in the light. And this is the craziest part. We can also then be sent as a light. Do you hear that when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, but then to his followers, you are the light of the world, he is inviting us to share in his purpose He's inviting us to share in his identity. He's inviting us to share in the work that he is doing and the revolution that he inaugurated that continues to this day. You and I are like little candles. They got close enough to the pillar of fire that we got lit. I wanted to actually subtitle the sermon today, Getting Lit, but I decided not to do that. That would have been inappropriate. Probably shouldn't have even mentioned it, come to think of it. But as Jesus' followers, we carry the light of Jesus everywhere that we go. We carry on the mission of Jesus everywhere that we go. When we are a trusted spiritual guide to a hung, spiritual hungry friend, we are the light of the world. When we go near and far to serve, to serve the needs of people in Jesus' name, to meet people's needs in Jesus' names, we are the light of the world. When we go on mission trips, when we serve on Sunday mornings, when we care for our neighbors, when we help those in need, when we point people towards Jesus, we are the light of the world. But, but this is the point. We don't do that out of pride. We aren't the light of the world as a, as a proud thing. We are the light of the world as a humble thing. I'm just a little candle. And through Jesus, the pillar of fire came into the world, came to me and I got lit, and now I'm joining in his mission, the mission of God, loving the people of this world. My life is getting swallowed up into his life. My mission is getting swallowed up into his mission. My identity is getting swallowed up into his identity. My purpose is getting swallowed up into his purpose. I am, you are, if you follow Jesus, or if you ever come to follow Jesus, you are a light in this world. But only because Jesus is the light of the world. Does that make sense? 
Sometimes when we find in the Scriptures what appears to be on the surface of it a contradiction, when we actually drill in on it, that's where we find some really good stuff, some really good stuff. You know the people who put the Bible together had reading skills too, right? Like they knew they put some stuff in there that didn't seem to agree on the surface level. They had thought through it too. They had thought through it too. So Jesus is the light of the world, and because of that, because of the way we share in His purpose, His mission, His identity as His followers, we too, collectively, can be a light in this world. So my question for you as I close out this sermon on I am the light of the world would be this. What does it mean for you that Jesus is the light of the world? What does it mean for you that Jesus is the light of the world. How does it help you think differently about Jesus? How does it help you think differently about yourself, your purpose, your, your, your mission, your identity? I don't always know what everybody's going through when I stand up here to, to, to deliver the sermon. I don't know that any preacher does. And yet somehow God, the Holy Spirit, will often take whatever words the pastor says and connect it to what's going on in your life. I've occasionally been asked if I have cameras in certain people's homes. I do not. And I have in my own, yes, I have two cameras on, in the, the baby's room. So we, we know what tomfoolery they're getting into. But that's the work of the Spirit who takes what's being said and connects it into your life. So I don't know if it's in your own heart, a place where you're battling between, uh, you know, light and darkness, God's way and not God's way. I don't know if it's something in the, the broader world or the community or outside of you, but what does it mean for you this Christmas season that Jesus says, I am the light of the world? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Well, I've got a little extra time, I noticed, from my watch, so I'll, I'll give you one last thing. I didn't know if I'd get to include this, but, but, but be prepared. Some, some years ago, scientists concluded that light has two natures, right? Light can be understood as a particle, or light can be understood as a wave. And so, it's final season throughout Western civilization over the next few weeks. Many students will be asked, tell me about light and they will write, light has two natures. It's a particle and a wave. No duh, who doesn't know that? Don't write that on the actual test, but just think it in your head. So it's easy for us to say light has two natures. It's particle, it's a wave. It can be understood either way. That's easy. That's like obvious uh, somehow. But then when we move to the passage for today in which Jesus is clearly emphasizing He is both God and human, that He has two natures. He can be understood as both God and human. That's harder for us. That's a trickier uh, thing. It's harder to buy for many of us, and that may be a hang-up some of us have with the passage. And I guess I would just point out um, Maybe that's an added meaning, 
Because how, how did Jesus, how did he lead into emphasizing that he was both God and human, that he had these two natures? He said, I am the light of the world. I don't know if that's an Easter egg for us or not. A little bonus now as we begin to understand more about the nature of light. Maybe it is. Just think about it. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever it is He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, in Exodus, you appeared as the pillar of fire that allowed your people to walk, even in the nighttime, away from what had enslaved them. And so, Lord, I thank you that you are the light of the world. That when we follow you, we will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Lord, this time of year, throughout the year, we are aware of so many things that hold us captive, things we can't seem to shake, places where our identity has become tied into things that it shouldn't be tied into. And so I pray this Christmas season we would claim maybe for the very first time, that Jesus is not only the light of the world, Jesus is the light of my life. For those of us who keep you at arm's length, I pray we would open up our arms to receive you in. And I pray we would be transformed as we live in the light. And Lord, I pray you'd use us to transform the world around us. that we would be the little candles who shine throughout the world. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand together and also sing, worship with our tithes,